And we're back on Fictional Frontiers. I'm your host, Sohei Bawan. Each week here on Fictional Frontiers, we cover the most noteworthy in pop culture entertainment. And that includes film, television, video games, you know it. <laughs> You've been listening to the show for quite some time, so you know what we're all about. Uh, James Barranelli, the founder of RealViews.net, the best online film critic in America, will be back later this week because we have a lot of films to talk about this week. As much as I don't really want to talk about Barbie, we may have James talk about that. And then there's obviously Oppenheimer. And I alluded to the fact at the end of last week's show that there's evidently some nudity um, in the film. Again, I don't know why nudity has to be included in these films. As a matter of fact, I don't know why extreme violence has to be either. Um, Sometimes I think that directors are pressured into doing certain things because of uh, certain... Uh, let's say a certain absence of morality in the highest tiers of Hollywood, so to speak, who want to see certain things. And so um, morality and ethics kind of get compromised in order to win awards or to get recognition in certain ways, because I don't believe that these things are essential for people to see. I've, I've said this many times before. If someone has to go to the bathroom, I don't necessarily need to see that. Everyone has to go to the bathroom. I don't need to see them um, relieving themselves to understand that's part of the human experience. There are certain things in the human experience that we understand we don't need to necessarily see. We all blow our noses. We all do a lot of different things. And I'm not trying to say that um, this is vile, but what I'm saying is that there are certain things that are meant to be private and not seen by anybody else. You know, And I think violence also, to a certain extent, falls into that. Um, but this week, I want to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, the film uh, set a franchise five-day U.S. Open opening record. U.S. Opening record, excuse me, with U.S. Open. <laughs> I'm thinking tennis. The Wimbledon final is on right now as we speak. Um, Dead Reckoning Part One sets franchise five-day U.S. Opening record with eighty million dollars, eighty million dollars domestically, and Paramount is saying that the global opening is two hundred and thirty-five million dollars where Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny only opened up at $130 million worldwide. So what does this say about Tom Cruise? What does this say about movies like Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning? What does it mean for these big-budgeted films uh, in general? Because if I uh, look at the numbers again, I mentioned this last week, you'll see that this film is one of the most expensive films in the last year outside of Avatar, obviously. It's a $290 million film. And it looks like if things continue the way they're going, this is going to be a very successful international film across the board. Um, $235 million opening weekend, and most of these films have a slow burn, to be honest with you. Even though Oppenheimer's coming out, that's a drama, that's a three-hour film. Barbie, I don't think a lot of people are going to want to see. Uh, it, It may do well. It may do well with... Uh, certain demographics, but ultimately in the end, when you're looking for a film that hits all the different uh, groups that you're trying to target when it comes to genre fare, a movie like Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, it it hits all the you know respective or necessary spots. Uh, families can go see it. Uh, it's exciting. It's visceral entertainment, which is what these films are all about. It's escapism to a huge degree. So what did I think about the film? I actually thought it was one of the most enjoyable films I've seen in quite some time. And what I mean by that is that 
even though it was very action heavy, I never felt that I was overwhelmed by the action. And I felt that the action scenes serve the story to a huge extent. Now, some have criticized or critiqued the plot of the story, uh, saying that it really doesn't go anywhere, that it's got too much of a sci-fi ethic or uh, aesthetic, I should say, to it. And I don't agree with that. I think that AI discussion, even now more so than ever before, particularly when we're looking at the writer's strike and the actor strike in Hollywood, we're seeing that this is at the front of many discussions. AI is something that we're all going to be grappling with. And it's very natural to address this in some way, form, or fashion. That's what they're doing in Dead Reckoning. And I think people are sleeping on the pop, the power of AI and the popular uh, notion among many that AI is a real threat. It's not some kind of conspiratorial theory in certain circles. You're seeing a lot of people embracing this notion that AI is a real problem and will be a, a big problem in the future. But what would happen if AI went awry? or took on its own notions of what should and should not be. So I think that that's what this film is really uh, all about, its crux. And that's kind of the ultimate uh, enemy in many respects because it's man versus machine. Um, species versus, if you want to call it a species, another entity, and it's actually called an entity in this film. So for me, I think the plot really works in uh, creating dynamically, um, you know, exciting real world stakes that anyone can relate to, even if uh, they've had a tangential uh, relationship or experience with AI. So for me, I think it fits uh, where we are today. It's timely, but it's kind of like war games. If you go back and watch war games, the Matthew Broderick film, it still uh, stands the test of time because there's something about man versus nature, man versus machine that just spans it, you know, the length of time. It's, it's a universal challenge that we have always uh, been fascinated by on so many different levels. And that's why Jaws to this day is still considered to be one of the most amazingly powerful films because it's all about man versus nature, the natural world, the limitations of what man can and should do. And this is what this film touches on. But again, let's be honest. When you're talking about a film like Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, or any of these Mission Impossible films, it's about the action. It's about the characters to some degree because now we've gotten to know some of these um, you know, actors. And to be honest, I don't remember Simon Pegg's name and Ving Rhames' name in the film. They're just Ving Rhames and uh, Simon Pegg. Ethan Hunt is the only one I know. Tom Cruise is the only one I know. And I was joking with my wife. I said, finally, a film uh, that Tom Cruise is not known by because of his real name. People know Ethan Hunt. You know, you're around long enough, people are going to know your name. <laughs> uh, it's not like uh, Shadow Khan, who, whatever film he's in, he's Shadow Khan. Okay, people don't really know his name in these films. I'm talking about general audiences. And so we know Ethan Hunt. I still don't know what his motivations are other than being just this noble, self-sacrificing person who's fighting for the greater good. Um, but I appreciate the uh, discipline. I appreciate the dedication that goes into giving audiences an, ex an experience that allows them to escape from uh, the day-to-day -day, uh, mundane lives they're facing, the challenges that are coming with 
hyperinflation, all the school issues, you name it. This is a film that is more or less about uh, pure escapism, pure escapism. And it goes back to what we were talking about with respect to Indiana Jones. I mentioned this last week, that one of the reasons why Indiana Jones has been such a successful uh, franchise as a whole is that Indiana Jones really is about, to a huge extent, um, man overcoming uh, things in a way that is believable or has been shown to be actually happening. Yes, there's a lot of CGI, there's a lot of stunt work here, but again, it's stunt work for the most part. It's stuff that people can do hypothetically if they have um, you know, a certain amount of skill, agility, access to materials, and then obviously the stunt that we've seen in uh, so many of the clips on YouTube and the making of that Tom Cruise hyped, or hyped up, just like he did with the other uh, insane stunts he's done, this uh, riding of the motorcycle off the edge of the cliff and then uh, parachuting down to land on a train. Now, obviously that part he didn't do, but the other part, uh, they showed quite a bit of it um, in some of the footage online, but we didn't see everything in the context of the film. And you know, even though I knew it was coming, even though it was kind of hyped up, I still enjoyed that sequence tremendously. I have to admit I enjoyed it. The way it was filmed also brought something to the mix. The other thing about these films that really works well for me, and I think a lot of other audience members is the fact they're really international affairs. What do I mean by that? They're films that take you to a variety of different places, you know, exotic locales, and it's very reminiscent of Bond, but I feel like these films have surpassed what Bond was. Uh, because James Bond, yes, he had his gadgets, he had his uh, fisticuffs with the enemy, uh, he visited these you know, extreme locations, what have you, and we saw that with the um, Craig films. But the thing is, no one does stunts or takes risks or has sequences as well choreographed as what we've seen in the Mission Impossible films as of late. Even from the very beginning, if you remember the first Mission Impossible film where Tom Cruise is lowered down from the ceiling and having to uh, avoid... Uh, touching the floor, otherwise the alarms go off to get some sensitive information off a computer system, I believe at uh, the Pentagon or NORAD, I'm trying to remember, I don't, it was not NORAD, it was, I think it was at the Pentagon. Um, that was a very compelling sequence and he actually did that. And I think that there is something there that people latch onto that CGI just does not provide. And it's very interesting, like I said, we're talking about AI in the context of this film. So the artificial versus the real People are always going to gravitate towards the real. Now, the emotional beats in this movie, you know, there's some nice interaction between the characters. Um, you know, you really do care about them to some degree. Uh, you worry about them. And they get some moments to shine as well. That's another thing I really appreciate about this film is that, yes, Tom Cruise is at the center of this, but the other characters get a chance to have their moments. And it's not all about them. And you also get the sense that this really is, to a huge degree, a team effort. There's no doubt that Tom Cruise is the hero. Ethan Hunt is the hero in this story. But without the efforts of the team, who have also sacrificed, without the friends, Tom Cruise is done. Uh, many sequences involve their directing him one way or the other and making certain that uh, you know he is avoiding harm 
on a variety of different levels. That's really, really, uh, you know, very important in the context of this film. And I think that's one of the messages of this film as well, as well, is that it's about, uh, it's about um, friendship. It's about friendship and who you're fighting for and how your friends play a significant role in ensuring that you can do what you do best. And so all of those elements, I think, make for a very strong film that is going to do very well in the box office. It's going to uh, be something that people revisit again and again and again. Even online or watching at home, they're going to watch it again. It's going to have legs. And I think that's the thing that's been missing from so much of the genre fare as of late. Tom Cruise knows how to, or he's you know, connected with audiences um, by telling stories that are universal in theme, in tone, that are not really contextual as far as periods of time. Yes, obviously AI is here, but we had to deal with Terminator in the 80s, um, man versus machine even earlier than that. As I mentioned, the man versus nature element, that's all part of this. This is just a way to kind of present it in a different fashion. He's able to tap into all of that. And he recognizes that elaborate choreography that people believe could happen is much more effective and much more exciting than sound and fury signifying nothing. Over-the-top sequences where there's no real stakes, where you don't know whether it's a real person or a CGI model, in essence, a cartoon character. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of these films. We've gone into the realm of the Warner Brothers shorts, where the only thing missing is Acme signs left and right. Characters have become Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner or Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, what have you. There's no real sense that these things could happen or do happen. And that's the thing about the, the Mission Impossible films. They do that very, very, very well. They make you believe, even though these stunts have, you know, obviously elaborate setups and, you know, they're things protecting Tom Cruise from getting pulled off uh, of a plane, for example. You know, he obviously has a harness and all these different things. There's safety precautions taken into effect, but there's a level of respect and admiration and uh, belief that this could be done because a person is actually doing it. Now, whether or not he can continue doing this, he's 61 years old. He's got one more film left, uh, evidently, in the franchise. We'll see. But I think that if Hollywood wants to continue making uh, big budget fare like this, they really need to get back to their grassroots. And also remember, a lot of it is not necessarily predicated on um, bigger is better. It's also more on location and, uh, you know, kind of the, the outsmarting elements of things as well. Because there are elements in this film in which, yeah, you've got these masks which are ridiculous in premise. You know, these masks that you can wear and disguise yourself as anyone. But the reality of the situation is that in the context of the film, those are the rules of the game. They make sense. They make sense. And so because they make sense, um, it's actually something that you can buy into. There's a level of verisimilitude. It's just like with vampire fear. Yes, vampires are ridiculous. They don't make any sense. They shouldn't exist. But once you've established the rules of the game, people are willing to go along with the ride or on the ride. As long as you don't um, violate those rules. And that's why, you know, 
some of the Marvel fare has not worked as well because at the end there's this uh, MacGuffin or this process by which you know something solves all the problems. It's like magic solving all the problems. You see that again and again on smaller scales. There are a lot of these films where it's just like, okay, I don't buy into this. It's way over the top. There's no context. There's no, like I said, verisimilitude here. And then even in the smaller sequences, um, it's it's not logically laid out. Like these films have very clever sequences that utilize the technology and rules of the game very effectively. And it's framed in a way that you can follow. It's not too uh, obtuse that people can't understand or discern what's going on. There's no shaky cam. Another thing, credit to Macquarie and the team for the absence of shaky cam. And this is why these films do well. So if, I'm not saying all the films have to follow this approach. But what I'm saying is that don't rely on the technology. Don't be lazy in the filmmaking. Recognize what type of story you're trying to tell. And then write something that's smart that brings people in. And that leads me to what's happening in Hollywood right now with the Writers Guild and the Actors Guild. Um, I think that it's a, an interesting contrast to what we're seeing in this film in particular because ultimately in the end, when you're looking at uh, what Hollywood is trying to do, maybe to some degree, at least the studio honchos, head honchos with AI and some of the elements that um, they bring into the mix, what this battlefield is all about. It's really tied to, to a huge extent, um, going the lazy route, the cheaper route, the more commercially viable route, capitalism on steroids, so to speak. And that's what Hollywood's worried about. And they, what they don't realize is that at the end of the day, it doesn't work. You can have something that appears on the surface to be much more effective, to be much more appealing, to be much more in line with your budgetary parameters, but better, quicker, cheaper does not necessarily mean better. And there's the human dynamic that needs to be recognized. And I'm not saying that the actors in Hollywood are bastions of value and they're incredibly uh, wonderful human beings. I don't know, you know, most of them or any of them, to be honest with you, on a uh, personal basis. I see some of their, um, you know, their work product. I see some of their efforts and their uh, absence of understanding certain things at a more nuanced level. And they advocate for certain things when they don't really appreciate the impact that, uh, you know, endorsing something might have. I'm not talking about that, but I do respect the notion and appreciate the notion that taking the human element out of the equation when it comes to art as a whole and not rewarding people for that is something that is a recipe for, and I don't want to say destruction, but a recipe for inferior fare that is not going to be embraced by audiences. Think about this for a second. Why do people like TikTok videos? Why do people like these or are drawn to these shorts that people are doing, which are insane sometimes? You know, these, uh, you know, parasailing or bungee jumping or, um, you know, jumping out of an airplane type videos that are just insane. Because there's something there for good or for bad that's connected to the notion of human beings connecting with other human beings. And, you know, seeing something that, seem to be impossible becoming possible within the realm of, of our respective human limitations. 
That's what people appreciate. That's what people are drawn to. And that's why they're drawn to those videos. There's a human connection there. If you take that out of the equation and you go the lazy route, an AI is not a human being. It will never be a human being. It will never be able to express in the way a human being expresses. We will always know most likely at some level that there's an absence of soul in the work. And so this is what the battle is for in many respects in Hollywood right now when it comes to the actors, when it comes to the writers. Because in the short term, and they're looking at short term things, it's going to be very problematic for a lot of people, but the art itself will also suffer in the long term. Short term too, uh, too, probably to some extent, because you know the work product's not going to be great in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to be devastating. It's going to be devastating as well, because people are not going to be drawn to this type of fare. They're just not going to be because the human element has been taken out of the equation. The formula doesn't compute. Um, it's just not going to work. And so they're fighting for that. And all they have to do is look at the receipts to a huge extent. Okay, one might argue that Avatar, The Way of Water, James Cameron's film was extremely successful. It had a lot of CG, had a lot of different uh, computer-centric elements to it. But again, there is something of a layer of humanity in the mix because it dealt with universal themes. Top Gun Maverick, I go back to that all the time. Maverick did so well because you're watching a human being in an airplane doing all these incredibly uh, risky, exciting things, and it can be done, and it's done. This latest Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, same thing, same thing. That's why even films that are, uh, you know, mystery fair to some degree, if they're well-written, they draw people in. They draw people in. It's the human element that draws people into the dynamic. And if you don't incorporate that, if you don't respect that, if you take that out of whatever you're doing and you go the short route or the easy route, you're just going to kill the golden goose. And that's where Hollywood is right now. Um, big, but big, bigger, <laughs> bigger budgeted fare does not necessarily mean better fare. And the executives are looking at things from a very myopic short term perspective. And maybe that's all they care about. Maybe that's all they are thinking about right now. Because one of the things about modernity is that people are only concerned about their inner circle and they don't have long-term vision. They don't really care about what's happening in the future. You can talk about global warming. You can talk about environmental issues. You can talk about economic issues. There's a consistent theme throughout, even on the creative side. People are short-term thinkers at the top. They are only concerned about short-term vision. They're not concerned about long-term impact. And they're only concerned about their inner circle or even maybe just themselves. You know, I was watching that film, uh, Air, and they had David Falk. And David Falk was a, you know, a person, at least the way they showed in the film, who was very aggressive and, you know, someone you didn't want to be around. And at the end of the movie, they show him eating dinner by himself. And I think that was something that had been talked about before, that he didn't have many close, close uh, friends. And that's what happens when you look at things from a pure business perspective and you take the beautiful parts of what art can and should be out of the equation. You basically end up with uh, 
human beings being more isolated, more selfish, more alone. And so to kind of sum things up here today this, uh, on this week's show, um, it's all about that. I mean, we, it's, it's, a, it's a theory that I have, but it's manifesting itself in real time with these box office totals, with the embracing of these projects. Bigger, more expensive projects do not necessarily mean better projects. When you take the beautiful elements of art that go into the creative process in filmmaking, in writing, in acting, when you take that out, when you don't reward that, when it's not significant to you, you end up with inferior fare. It's just like manufacturing across the board. I would take any handcrafted item that has imperfections, that has a degree of dedication that's part of the building up or tearing down of the process that goes into uh, illustrating something or producing something, stitching something, what have you, over something that's made in a factory that's just churned out again and again and again, even if it's perfect. Something that is perfect on the surface doesn't necessarily mean that it's perfect when it comes to what we want or what we aspire to, per se. The absence of perfection is a very human quality, and it's something that resonates with us very, very strongly. And so if we don't have that, we've lost so much. And so, you know, again, these things are reminders. Art is also a reminder to a huge extent, whether it's a mediocre fare, whether it's incredible fare, it is a reminder of what can, what uh, could be, what should be, what might be, and what it shouldn't as well. You're listening to Fictional Frontiers. We will catch you next week when we talk about... Uh, I don't really want to talk about it, but maybe James will talk about it. Barbie. Uh, and then also Oppenheimer. And I was really looking forward to that film, but then when I heard about you know, the full frontal nude scene, I kind of lost a little vigor for that film as well. So we'll probably talk about it to some degree, but at the end of the day, um, my enthusiasm for that project has kind of uh, been tempered. Nonetheless, uh, we will talk about it probably with James Barnelli. Be safe. Uh, it's rough out there. The weather's been a little bit difficult. I'm going back uh, to watching the Wimbledon final, I think. <laughs> You're listening to Fictional Frontiers. <laughs>